Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. I'm your host today, Valentino Stoll. We're joined by a very special guest today, Brad Gessler. Brad, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us uh, a little bit why you're famous. Yeah, I've never thought about why I'm famous. Um, so I'll shoot off the cuff here. Um, just that my background with Rails. Um, I was formerly the CTO of Pull Everywhere. I uh, wrote the first lines of code in a Rails application. Um, and I spent about 12, maybe 13 years um, writing kind of the first lines of code for that and then moving more into a management position, um, which uh, I wanted to get back into coding, which is um, uh, what I'm doing now. Uh, so right now, I am pretty much get to write articles about uh, Ruby on Rails, try a few of these ideas that I have, which you can read about on the um, fly.io slash Ruby dispatch. Um, and just write about it and share it with the world and hopefully make uh, Rails a better place. That's awesome. You know, I haven't actually uh, had a chance to play with fly.io yet. <laughs> I have heard a lot of hype around it. Uh, yeah. It, did you see it before you joined fly, fly.io or did you already know about it before you joined? Uh, I kind of knew about it. Um, I've, I've known Kurt. He's the CEO of Fly for a while. Um, and when I left Bull Everywhere, I had no anticipation of like getting a job right away. Um, but then Kurt said, Hey, uh, you know, we're looking for uh, a Ruby specialist, a real specialist. Uh, and at the time I was also thinking, you know what, I'm getting tired of, of using Heroku. Like things are just kind of old. Where's HTTP2? Um, so I kind of got nerd sniped by Kurt into this and it's like, Oh, I can play with rails and, um, you know, help build. The, the future cloud for Rails, as I like to think about it. Um, so that's that's what got my attention. And I'm like, okay, this this seems like something that would be fun to do for a while. Uh, so now, you know, again, I get to think about how could Rails be better and actually try those ideas, which we saw with um, some of the Docker work. My colleague Sam Ruby uh, worked on that. Um, so you can generate a Docker file for Rails now, which should improve deployments for Rails apps dramatically. Um, and more recently, I've been working on um, just component-driven view architecture. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to just ask myself questions like, hey, what if I just built a Rails application that did not use um, any herb, templates, layouts, none of that. It was just built entirely of components. Um, and I've got to like dive into the Rails source code and kind of see what's going on and um, write about some interesting things. Yeah, I have so many questions about this. <laughs> I, I have, uh, you know, I'm probably not alone. Uh, you know, we talked off, you know, before the show about this. Uh, but, you know, Rails uh, out of the box, you know, user interface, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I guess is like purposely lacking. Uh, but it's still, you know, there's nothing uh, definitive for like getting quickly started, right? With a front end. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like, okay, Here's a ton of other frameworks you can snap in place. And that's kind of been the new approach with all the front end tooling, right? With JS bundling and all that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, they all have great ways to get interfaces set up quickly. <laughs> uh, but there's nothing, you know, built in or native. And uh, I kind of liked uh, you know, your article. I've been following along uh, kind of your your trek here. <laughs> on componentizing, you know, these little interface components. Because yeah. uh, it is like something you do every time, right? Like you get to this point in your application where you've done all the CRUD stuff 
and you're trying to add some interaction and well, I, do I install React at this point? Like, is that necessary, right? Can yeah. I use Hotwire? And at that point, like, well, how easy is it to start managing my interface elements like systematically, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not there. <laughs> yeah, it's it starts to get out of hand. Um, it's, it seems like you're... It, like Rails does have some things out of the box. So it you can generate scaffoldings. Um, and some of the SaaS starter kits have that too. There's uh, like Bullet Train has super scaffolding. Um, so there, there are some kind of point solutions out there that, that can solve those problems. But for the most part, um, what's really kind of driving my desire for this component-driven architecture, part of it is just more rapid prototyping. Um, but I also just want to move away from generating files to solve all these problems. Um, if you build your application entirely with all these generated files, then to your point, if you have to go and change something, you're just going through all these different files and finding this markup that you have to like change. So you know you need to get really good at regex and just learn that and know how to like <laughs> search through all these files and grep and replace things. Um, you there may be a future where like GPT five or whatever could just go in and figure it all out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is kind of the wild card. But the thing that I'm focusing on now is like, how can we have something that's that's more declarative where you could just say, hey, I want to render this form. I want all my forms, my application to look the same. Um, could I just drop a form component here, give it a model and say, hey, I want to show these fields. Um, and there are some libraries that do that. Like I think simple form comes to mind. Um, but the yeah. last time I used simple form, I remember um, editing the markup for what's emitted, what it had to be done in in a configuration file. So you have to like yeah. shut down the it's Ruby pretty server, painful. yeah, and reboot the whole stack. Uh, and what's interesting is um, I built basically rebuilt um, the Rails form helper from the from the ground up using Flex. Uh, a lot of the work that I'm doing is based on Flex, which we can get to in a moment. Uh, but I found in rewriting a lot of the the Rails form helpers, there's a lot that's not that's not going right in Rails form helpers that makes it kind of awkward to use. And I, there's, I, I can see some improvements, um, especially when it comes to like displaying errors and integrating with HTML5 client-side validations. There's so much that can be done um, with a componentized um, architecture towards building this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from just, it's a lot easier whenever you're dealing with um, data inside of Ruby code and they're just much closer together. Uh, and you don't have that whenever you're dealing with like partials and templates and all that. It's kind of like, okay, my view files are all the way over here in the views directory and my data and all this stuff is kind of jammed into these models and all these other things. Maybe the controller right. but it's just kind of spread out. It's hard to reason through like the the state of a, a view and the data that a view has associated with it. So you do end up with all these crazy um kind of duct tape and, and bailing wire type situations. <laughs> and we even see that with, with Turbo. Like Turbo is pretty good, um, but you're still essentially finding DOM IDs on a page and you're kind of patching based on that. Um, and I think a, a potential future I see with components is um, in Rails, we could have something that looks more like live view where you just worry less about kind of matching DOM ID with DOM ID. And it just becomes more declarative, and you kind of have these things that mostly just work and mostly stay in sync with the uh, with the server. 
Um, I haven't gotten that far yet where I'm like, okay, now it's time to wire um, turbo or hot wire into the, the components. But there, it's fully compatible. You can call out to all the, the turbo helpers and all that stuff from components. So I don't see a reason why it can't be done. In fact, I know um, Joel Draper, uh, he's, been, he's the creator of Flex. He's been working with um, the creator of the Falcon server. I don't know why I can't remember his name offhand, but I think oh, they're Samuel Williams. On. That's it, yeah. So they, they put together this proof of concept where the view can start rendering from the component. Um, it puts this placeholder on the client-side markup while the async query is running. And then when the async query is complete, then it populates the rest of that view. So there's... Live view. <laughs> yeah, similar. Uh, you know, we don't have, Rails doesn't have the the beam runtime, so there's there's the question of how yeah. do you manage that um, with the client side. I worry about that a lot. <laughs> state. Yeah, it might not be a big deal though. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But I haven't I haven't thought about it enough to know if it is. Um. So yeah, it's, yeah, that's uh, fair. No, it'll be interesting to see if if it's possible and. It is. It's, it's a question is like, how, what does that look like? It's probably built on Redis or something, right? Like that's, this seems to be the solution for all Rails things. Like just let Redis handle it <laughs> and then it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, I guess the the biggest issue is like that uh, bi-directionality, right? Like you want, you know, it, it becomes like a, you know, you can only get past the HTTP handshake for so long <laughs> before yeah. it starts becoming a bottleneck. Uh, especially when you're doing a ton of requests. Uh, so I'm a little worrisome. I know WebSock is supposed to like help in that regard to yeah. you know make it go through a single pipeline at least. Uh, but I'm not convinced we're quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm curious what your uh, experience has been so far with, with using Flex. Uh, my experience with like component structure is kind of almost exclusively with view component. <laughs> yeah. Um, and partials, right? <laughs> yeah. Flex is, is kind of a funny journey for me because initially I saw it and I thought, oh, this is a terrible idea. Um, but whenever I see something like that or, or I have that thought, I think I, I follow it up with like, okay, but there's probably something interesting going on here. Um, and so I'll just dive into it. <laughs> Uh, and I think it's actually a lot like Tailwind, where initially it seems like a terrible idea. And to some, it still is. Like, it's it's very, um, there's strong opinions about it. And I think that's always going to be true for Flex. Like, there will be people who just prefer to write herb um, in HTML Markdown. And that's totally fine. I get there's a lot of reasons why you would want to do that, um, be it technical reasons or team reasons. But um, I will say that initially, if you look at Flex and you think like, ah, oh, this is this is weird. It seems like a terrible idea. Um, if you start using it and kind of get past that initial level of discomfort, um, you'll, you'll start to like it a lot more, um, especially whenever you realize like, oh, wow, I can take this view component uh, and I can extract this thing into its own component and then put a method called like table or something or data grid um, <laughs> within you know, one of my views. And then it just, it just kind of works. So you will you will get to a point if you use it enough where you're almost kind of building your own like higher level markup language um, inside of these flex components, and that's whenever at least for me I realized like wow this is there's something to this where you could just very rapidly build um, applications, and I, I think it it would start off kind of slow, 
where, oh, geez, you know, there's this initial, like, what are my, the components that I need for my application? But once you kind of get past that initial setup of your components and you figure that out, that's where things just get a lot faster. And it's just very quick to, to put views together uh, using Flex. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, there's cool. still, so, I there's mean, still a lot of work in the docs that need to be done to, okay. to, to lay that out in a much better way. I'm not even sure if what I said makes sense, but I think there's, there's something to that journey of you're putting a bunch of components together. Um, the next level is kind of when you realize how you can move those things out and essentially build your own like DSL. I know that can be a dirty word, but um, <laughs> not even in that way. I didn't even mean it that way. I mean, um, domain-specific languages in Ruby are frowned upon sometimes, but um, the way that Flex does it and the way that it kind of evolves is just very nice. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm there. There are so many gems that start with like their domain-specific language, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. look how great it is. And then you start having your edge cases and you're like, well, how do I get around these edge cases? And it's using their you know, DSL, it becomes very hard to yeah. ex, you know extend <laughs> yeah. without like modifying the internals right uh, yeah. so i was curious if you like ran into a lot of that or if it was pretty much all there and any oh, edge yeah. case you could get around a different way yeah i i like to say um if you're not running into leaky abstractions you're probably in denial um <laughs> whenever i'm working on a framework i do think that's very important like you need to build the thing with an understanding that there's abstractions leak and you should always have an escape hatch for whenever the, the end user, the developer, runs into that. So that's something that Flex does pretty well. Um, okay. Like for example, we all know that the title. Um, we we all know if the title element in HTML documents. So there's a method inside of um, Flex called title. And if you call that, it wants to generate a title tag. Um, but if you want to make a view component, say for a blog post, you might have title in there and you would call the title method so you have this like conflicting namespace issue um, but if you look inside of flex you can call title tag um, or you can register that element and kind of get around that so there's plenty of escape hatches and flex um, where if you run into some of these abstraction issues you can always drop a level below that get out of whatever trouble spot you're in and then you know it's it's kind of off to the races um, and I, I think this is true for all abstractions. Like when you hit those um, parts where they leak, it does take some time. Uh, you have to break your flow and working in your current level of abstraction and say, oh, okay, now I have to like go the next level below that, figure out how to get out of um, whatever conflict or abstraction leak I'm in. And then once you figure that out, if you run into it again, then it's not a big deal. So there is a bit of a learning curve. Um, and I think, again, that's true for any abstractions. but the question is, is that learning curve worth it? And can you be more productive um, using the abstractions? Um, and again, when you run out of trouble, like how do you get out of that trouble? Uh, so that's that's all there in Flex. And this, the, the stuff that I'm working on and the way that I work and solve these problems and release gems, I always I think a lot about that. Um, <laughs> running into the leaks, fixing the leaks, and getting back on, on the, the saddle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I just think back to uh, you know Slim, right? Yeah. Uh, which for those that don't know is like kind of like the slimmed down version of ERB. Yeah. Uh, where it, and it tries to follow more along the lines of the 
the dom with just class structure with you know minimized notation yeah. uh which i know a lot of designers like and front end people so uh yeah. it definitely has stuck around quite a long time um so i'm wondering if you have like had any experience like working directly with like front end specific people and yeah. what if they if they if you have what the their experience is working with flex uh i haven't yet I, okay. All, all I can go off of is reactions I've seen on Twitter, uh, which, like you know, always take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and I guess some right. some community posts, but it doesn't surprise me. I think it's it's similar similar to Slim and Hamel, um, which if people haven't heard of Hamel, it's very similar to Slim, using a slightly different notation, but it's pretty much the same. Uh, and people are just very opinionated about it, and I assume that's going to be true for components. Um. So I, I've used Hamel and Slim. I still use it to this day. I, I love abstractions on top of markup because if I don't have that, I'm going to forget to close a tag and then I have to chase that down. So I look at these abstractions <laughs> as um, these things are actually preventing me from shipping many bugs um, to production. Uh, that's how I look at it. But I totally get and understand um, how a front-end designers who are familiar with uh, working with HTML and CSS and JavaScript directly, they're probably not going to like this as much because it will feel <laughs> a little bit different. Um, and they, they'll probably run into some problems with like um, assembling a paragraph in this thing. Um, you know, what if you have a paragraph with some text and then you need to have some bold font in there and you have to put a tag in there? Uh, but that said, I, I don't think it's necessary to just have all flex. Um, I actually still think markup has. Um, areas where it is just better. Um, a lot of that, I think, is in content. Uh, like if you ask me to write kind of a, a semi-formatted um, essay or something or some documentation, I would want to reach towards Markdown, um, assuming that kind of the notation there is enough for the, the problems that I'm uh, trying to solve. But if that's not enough, if I need some fancier stuff in there, like, I don't know, embedded maps or some crazier HTML, uh, I would I would have no problem reaching for ERB or any of those um, templating languages. Uh, and you could actually still use that with Flex and render it from Flex. So if you build um, kind of the application side of your uh, Rails app using Flex components, I think that's where it really shines. Um, but if you're building more of a content site, I still think you can have Flex to manage uh, the layout and some of the, the navigation and stuff, and it's going to help a lot. Uh, but I would say, like, create your content in ERB or Markdown um, or any of these other kind of markup languages. It just makes more sense where we have long-form docs to do it that way. Uh, so I, I also think, like, a really good uh, component front-end for Rails is, is really important. Um, and, and I also think a good kind of file-based content management system is, is just as important uh, for Rails. Um, and that's another project I've been working on is SitePress uh, for several years, which is essentially, I was using Middleman for a while. I loved Middleman. It was great. I tried to embed it into Rails because I needed that kind of level of content management in a Rails app. Um, and of course, Middleman wouldn't embed in there because it has a ton of gem, gem dependencies. So I built SitePress, which is essentially a, a copy of Middleman, except you can plug it into Rails um, or you can run it standalone and compile a static website. 
Um, but the nice thing about kind of components and middle or not middleman and SitePress coming together is it's very easy to create content. If you want to add a blog or a, like support documentation, it's as easy as um, it was to create a web page like 15 years ago in Dreamweaver. You just like create a support folder and start throwing documents in there and like upload that. Um, same idea. You're just like creating files, throw it in your Rails app. Um, and you have like great documentation. And then for the kind of application side of the house, you should be using components. At least that's my opinion. That's really cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the idea. I mean, I think about uh, even just like the whole Jekyll idea, right? Where you're just like, okay, you, you know, there is some initial setup uh, yeah. for the layout and whatnot, right? But if you take it outside of that, like new content is just creating a file and uploading it, right? And then it just like works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and I mean I there's a lot of there's a lot of static site generators now <laughs> in Rails. Yeah, totally. I'm thinking Bridgetown. Yeah. Uh you know, Middleman was definitely one I was familiar with uh back in the day and it worked great, you know, yeah. uh for what it did. Uh, I didn't honestly do too much with it. You know, I yeah. didn't <laughs> I didn't hit those limits like uh you mentioned earlier, right yeah. with a new tool. Um but uh Cypress is pretty cool here. Um, what got you into this? <laughs> so my last company. Well, before hold on, hold yeah. on. Before yeah. we get there, because I yeah. had questions about uh, the componentized portion. Yeah, uh, of, go back to that of your of flex, right? Because yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think about like the ideal uh, component view structure. It makes me think about design systems, right? Like yeah. the uh, I'll never forget. I saw. <laughs> Oh, this guy, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, but he, he was known for like, he did the Atom, if you've ever seen that. Uh, the Atom project, yeah. where uh, all the elements were like tiny little pieces that built into the your bigger mass, right? Yeah. Uh, and it kind of like turned into the design system, uh, yeah. you know, idea, right? The atomic uh, design system, right? Yep, the atomic design yeah. system. And the, the name... Uh, I forget his last name. I think it's Brad too. <laughs> I, I want to uh, say it's it's the last name is Frost, but I I don't know if I'm remembering. Oh, Brad Frost. Yeah, Brad Frost. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> he has a an actually uh, a really great uh, talk called "Fuck the Bullshit," which if you've <laughs> uh, if you've ever been frustrated with anybody's user interface, uh, like on any site, like he just goes and through like you know, all, all the bad things people do and why you shouldn't yeah. do it and why why do we do it, right? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like, I think about a design system as, like, being, like, the crux of, like, where you want to head with an application for, like, yeah. front end, right? Like, yeah. that, having it all managed like that where everything is kind of, like, normalized to compartmentalize pieces of whatever your application is doing, uh, yeah. you know, that you can reuse these components everywhere. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, and it, it allows the separation of, uh, designers and code, but also blends them, right? Like, yeah. there's so many great benefits of having that. Um, and so I was excited about view components, right? Which is kind yeah. of like, they, GitHub basically, you know, took all of their, oh, we have a design system and like made this new thing so that they can make it easier to reuse those uh, components into like specific, you know, pieces yeah. of code and design. Uh, and so it makes a lot of sense to me. And it, it makes me think too. You were mentioning view 
right? Uh, their component structure, is, I just really love. Uh, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about Vue.js. Um, and uh, it, it just, enca- the encapsulation of the front end is just like, it, it makes it so easy to, to reuse and it's straightforward and what yeah. you need to change and alterate, right? Uh, the yeah. properties of those specific things. Uh, and so Flex was very promising to me because it, it gave me that same kind of idea of, oh, like, okay, these reusable components that is in a Rails context, I could use Ruby everywhere, yeah. uh, you know. And not that view component isn't also like that, but it blurs the lines a little bit more, right? Where it's like, yeah. all right, well, you could also use HTML, like you can still use all these other things, right? Yeah. Uh, which, I, you know, really it's pick your poison, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. There's not one better than the other. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think organizing and the getting things into that design system mentality, I think yeah. is re- probably the most important. Uh, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are on like how Flex works on building that idea. Yeah. Uh, how easy is that to do? And like maybe uh, other things that you've seen that maybe uh, are, are worked easier or better or, or maybe di- work differently than you expected. Yeah. So this is something that I, that I also think about a lot with Flex and even um, View Component. I think View Component is a great library. I've used it in some projects. Um, what's interesting about it compared to Flex, though, is um, in View Component, uh, slots are this kind of special thing that you have to think about. And with Flex, what's, what's really interesting about Flex is a slot is just a block. That opens up a ton of of possibilities. Um, I won't try to articulate it because it's it's kind of hard to articulate it. But you can just make it's easier to make certain things. Like for me to build to rebuild um, the Rails form helper, it's just much easier um, if I don't have to think about slots versus um, markup. Like those are essentially the same thing. But in Flex, and Flex, they are the same thing. It's just a block. It's just code. So you can mix the two and do some some pretty interesting things. Um, but aside from that, I think like with respect to design systems, what's really important is, um, if you're, if you're building, um, a component library, I think what's important there is that you can support a very iterative approach. Um, and what I mean by that is it's one thing to ship a library, but you need to think about how are developers and designers going to work together to kind of evolve the design system. It's not going to happen at once. It's going to happen as a back and forth over time. Um, and that, that interaction is important to think about. So when I put the view component um, uh, kind of proof of concept together, one thing you'll notice is that I decided to support these inline controller views, um, which is kind of crazy. Like who wants to put their view code inside of a controller? Um, the reason for that, though, is whenever I start building a web application, I always think uh, I would I would love to just build it in Sinatra this time. Um, it's just so easy to it feels lightweight and all those kind of things. But I, I've had enough experience with Sinatra apps where it feels great starting out. It feels very productive, but then I just end up rebuilding some version of Rails that that is not as good as Rails. Um, it's just oh, kind of so true. <laughs> yeah, and it's. I mean, maybe it's not a mess for me, but if another developer comes in, they're just like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, you know, where are my <laughs> models? Uh, so I've learned the hard way that um, 
Rails like has its its benefits there, and then other people can come in and they kind of know where to look for things. Um, so whenever I set out on this, I also thought, how can I bring that kind of initial prototyping experience that feels so good in Sinatra? How can I bring that into Rails? And that's what inspired me to support this idea of like you can create a show class nested inside of a say posts controller, and that's going to map to the resources show route. Um, and it's just going to like render that component. So you get that kind of benefit of, wow, I can just prototype the view inside of the controller and have that Sinatra-like prototyping experience. And then when I'm kind of done with the prototype, I can move that view out of the controller and I can move it into the views folder um, or just wherever. It's, it's just a class. So you can just kind of put it wherever. Um, and I also think that... That's kind really of, cool. I, I think that approach matters... Um, I explain that in a way that matters to the developer, but I think like that line of thinking for shipping a good component library is going to be important for um, like how how do designers um, engage with kind of this this process. So I don't know. Maybe if there's some designers um, listening to this and they have some ideas for what that looks like, get a hold of me, um, and I, I I would like to hear more about that and understand just more about how that works to figure out um, what. What could be done for an, an eventual library that I will ship um, to to make the the life of designers easier? But I, all that I think is very important. Not just what does this library do, or it's, what are its APIs, but how is it used over time? And is it can it can you ship something where people can evolve things and um, without having to boil the ocean all at once? Um, that's yeah, that's been I, my experience with I design. Get that teams too like you can't design the design system all at once <laughs> you can but you're going to throw a lot of it away yeah i mean from my personal experience uh you know the biggest issues are getting shareability across applications right yeah. when you start you know because once you get big enough with your monolith you know you start creating other apps just because it's better to have it the encapsulation uh and, you know, you don't even need the data in a lot of contexts in the same application. And so you do, you start shooting off all these other applications, but you still want the same look, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, like, how do you get those same, you know, components, like, shared across those applications? Yeah. Uh, and then it becomes, and it's weird because, you know, each of those has its own interaction, uh, you know, potentially. So, like, you kind of need to support JavaScript at that point. So, like, yeah. how do you blend the two uh, yeah. also and share it? Um, and it becomes very cumbersome to manage that on a big yeah. scale. Uh, and I think that's probably why it does no great solution exists. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> because, I think because of how hard it is. So, <laughs> I think there's two reasons for that. Okay, um, Flex solves one of those problems. The other is the asset pipeline. So I'll, I'll start with the first part. So it, since Flex is entirely Ruby code, it's way easier to package that up into a gem and, and ship that. You don't have to worry about creating a Rails engine. You don't have to worry about get, telling that engine, like, here's where my template and view files are for this plugin. Um, even if you get past that, though, you still... We see this in, in third-party libraries, like, um, it's not OmniAuth. What's the other one? Device? Where you if you want to customize the login screen, you have to like type in this command. And again, it generates these view yeah. files. And it generates the new copy. 
Yeah, and it just throws these view files in your project that look nothing at all like what you want them to look like. So you have to like essentially change those files and rewrite them. If you're lucky, you just yeah, I mean things, but usually it's even if you had like simple form used to have a plugin where you could extend yeah. it, right? Where it would okay, it would at least generate in a you know your overall hierarchy of like how to generate a form, but yeah. even still. <laughs> so my my hope is that Flex is used to kind of ship a we'll call it like a standard library of components. Um, I think a lot of that would be. Um, calling into Rails helpers. The the Rails form helper needs to be rewritten. Um, I'm convinced of that. Not a huge rewrite, and it would work the same. Um, but the reason I think that's important is because I figured out a way where you can just create a form and a component, and then that form component will tell the controller which attributes to permit. So think about how many times you've built a Rails app and you forget to permit an attribute. You're testing it in the browser. You're like, why won't this save? Um, oh, forgot to permit an attribute. Um, Every time. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's like, forms are a problem that we all deal with. Um, we all like, we want kind of form errors to be handled, I think mostly in a consistent way, but how they're displayed is that's where things vary. Uh, and I think Flex can provide base classes for these things that are going to be easy for people to just like add the, the base Flex gem to your application. It's like standard library components. And then just extend it. And then you could probably actually use refinements in the way they were meant to be used and say, like, refine all of the form objects in my Rails application with this subclass that I extended from this thing. So whenever I, whenever I um, render a form, I want it to use my subclass that's specialized uh, for Rails. And in theory, you could do that and we'll just update all the forms in your applications without having to like, go through all these files and change a bunch of stuff. Um, so that's kind of... One thing I look forward to. Um, all right, but to get to the second point, like why is it so hard to um, ship JavaScript uh, with a um, with like a Rails plugin that you want to write? And I wrote about this too on Ruby Dispatch on Fly.io. The, the asset pipeline is just it's a mess. Um, I, I think the official way now the docs were recently cleaned up, and it basically says use import maps and use sprockets. That's kind of like the official way of going about it. But what frustrates me about that, I think it's, I, I like that we want to get there, but what happens whenever you need to bring in a package, say from Node or from one of these gems, that's where things get really confusing. Um, how are you importing these JavaScript things from um, plugins? It's not clear. The documentation isn't that great. And then there's, a bunch of different kind of asset pipelines that Rails actually has. Um, there's JS bundling. Uh, there's import maps. You can use Webpacker still if you want, even though that's officially deprecated. Um, if you do start a Rails application with import maps and you need to use Node for some reason, there's no great path to get there. Um, there's no script that you run that say like upgrades from import maps to JS bundling. Um, CSS is kind of similar. There's like, uh, there's even more of those. I think there's Dart, SAS, uh, Tailwind. I think Webpacker can handle CSS too. And it's just not clear, like, okay, what do I use? Um, so yeah, I, I wrote an article about that so I can understand it myself. And I, 
I think I left, I answered some questions, but I had some more questions like, why is the asset pipeline this crazy? Um, and it's still that way. So I don't have a great answer for how um, JavaScript assets can be bundled in a clean way with, with Flux components um, and then integrated with whatever pipeline, whatever asset pipeline, the Rails application that, that needs to use it as running. Um, I don't, like, I hope the Rails uh, community gets to a point where it's like, yes, this is the, the one way or maybe two ways of doing it um, and makes that much clearer for um, people who build Rails plugins so that we can um, distribute JavaScript assets in a sane way um, with Rails apps. I guess today you would have to like publish your JS package to Node or something if you're creating a Rails plugin. I don't really know. I, I try to just avoid distributing JavaScript with Rails plugins, which I think is kind of a shame. You know, I remember, uh, what was it, Rails Assets, uh, yeah. right, where you used to have the gems that you could then include and it would bundle it with the, the Node yeah. app, uh, pipeline, which was uh, a little messy, but it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it, did, it did work. Uh, and it plugged right in the asset, pup, asset yeah. pipeline, right? Like, uh, it did solve some of the problems, uh, maybe including way too much JavaScript up front, right? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of... Now I find myself missing sprockets, even though at the time I knew I was running in all these problems using sprockets as the JavaScript pipeline. But it was the thing it had going for it is everybody distributed Rails plugins that knew if they needed to serve up assets that it would be integrating with sprockets. Um, so we kind of lost that. Now it's just there's a bunch of different asset pipelines for different reasons. Uh, which actually is very unRailsy uh, when I think about it. Like Rails is supposed to have this opinion, and at least for the past few years, um, there's been kind of this very lightweight opinion of like let's use import maps. Um, but there's just been so many other options where that's it's been kind of a mess. Um, so yeah, I, don't, we'll, we'll I see mean, how I, it evolves. <laughs> I'm hopeful. I mean, it's been a year almost, right? Since yeah. uh, <laughs> since I kind of came out. Uh, and it's not really that much better, uh, to be honest. Uh, yeah. It's still a which one do you use kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now there's prop but, shaft. You know, what prop, do we do shaft? With prop shaft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to replace sprockets, but like, right. Okay. Should we use prop shaft for new projects? Maybe, maybe not. It's still unclear. And then it's like, yeah. I want to distribute a plugin. Do I integrate with prop shaft? Do I distribute a node package or? Um, integrate with sprockets so it's kind of it's pretty bonkers um and it doesn't I, I think it's harming kind of the plugin ecosystem around um just like view type plugins um and like i said going back to the two points like i think flex will solve the problem of how do i distribute um components in a sane way in rails um, yeah. in a way that can be like overridden and extended and all that stuff with kind of oo principles but it doesn't solve the the asset problem and it persists, and it will until um, there's a strong opinion that says something like, ah, you got to use prop shaft, and if you want to distribute a plugin, like distribute, a, distribute your JavaScript over Node um, or NPM. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll I mean, it's goes. still... Yeah, it, it's still that, too, uh, from a user interface perspective, right? Like front end wise performance like 
you do you want to wait for the entire page to render all the individual things that you're you know yeah. that you want to wait for the user to do right and say okay load the page as fast as possible and then just like let the user see stuff is loading right yeah. or do you want to just like wait for the page to load with all the stuff already there yeah right and like both go different directions as far as asset management yeah right and both like have the problem of uh are we including too much of the assets at once yeah. uh and then are we duplicating assets and caching kind of resolves the duplicates right yeah. uh, or could <laughs> yeah. if caching were easy <laughs> it's amazing how difficult it is to like efficiently serve up assets and it's not like it's, it's not just one discipline either. It's like you have to understand HTTP networking, <laughs> like all these factors to understand just how to serve up <laughs> some JavaScript quickly. So I'm curious, have you seen anything uh, out there that seems promising as far as managing assets in this way? Not really. I've had some like, I would describe them as like fantasies of forget it. Let's just <laughs> throw everything in a public directory and we'll deploy it to Fly.io and just don't worry about fingerprinting and all that stuff. Just like get the assets closer to um, users, which fly, you can do that. You can type in fly deploy and it'll just deploy your application out to like 10 servers around the world. Um, oh, that's cool. It, it'd be cool to like do that. Just throw everything in public and, um, you know, maybe every request, it maybe has a short TTL and then it's checking e tags um, every five minutes or something. Like, wow, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be so much easier? <laughs> Uh, to do it that way, um, I haven't dove into that yet. Um, it almost seems like a joke, but that also tells me there's probably something to that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're shipping something that seems ironic, like fate loves irony, so chase that down. You probably like will have found something that that um, <laughs> next time we'll have you on and you'll have solved the asset problem for us. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think Fly might solve it on that front, but. I don't know. There's not really a great conceptual way of doing it without fingerprinting. Um, yeah, you know that you make a good point about like deployments and like all these hosting providers, you know, hosting yeah. all the same stuff. Uh, it's a little surprising that they haven't just been like, okay, we're going to host all the popular ones, right? Like <laughs> we're already serving it, right? Like why not yeah. us cash it and save money? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't think of it that way, but. Yeah, like why not if you're running a major hosting provider, like, hey, use our uh, node. Um, I keep calling it node. Use our NPM uh, CDN. Right. If, if you're hosting here, like just tap into that and it's all there next to your server. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I would use a hosting provider that did that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. Uh, I think there's like th there's anyway. third party ones that... <laughs> you're not paying money directly to them. You're like, how do they make money? <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> but if it's your own hosting provider, you'd be like, all right, if they start screwing with these assets, then like, I'm just going to leave. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, it'd be interest, interesting to combine the two. I'm sure Cloudflare does that. Like they run so much of the internet. They're probably kind of doing it behind the scenes, but. Yeah. Cloud Cloudflare is pretty great. Uh, yeah. I use them for some static stuff and, uh, zero problems. <laughs> the yeah. caching is so fast. Yeah. Um, so back to the site press. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I do want to touch. I do. I do want to touch on the content portion of it. Yeah. Uh, because 
I I'm always moving my blog <laughs> to yeah, different things. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it originally started as a, a you know Sinatra app. <laughs> yeah, and then I you know I got tired of updating tweaks to it uh, when I wanted to add a new kind <laughs> of content or media, you know, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, and I think I I think I ended up on Ghost, <laughs> yeah, which is completely not Ruby, and I. I feel ashamed having it <laughs> a <fine>. little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right to dabble uh, in other languages. <laughs> you know, yeah, just try it, try some out. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the, the whole Hugo, uh, you know, thing seems really interesting. And yeah. uh, there's so many toolings built around that. Uh, and, and I mean, really, I look at that and see, like, if you just have content, <laughs> yeah, why have anything dynamic generating it? Um, yeah. So uh, what got you to want to build your own? <laughs> I'm curious yeah. what that flip was with Middleman where you're like, all right, that's it. Yeah, so I two things kind of came together. Like I started playing with Middleman for just kind of personal sites and small sites. I'm like, ah, this is great. Um, this was, I don't know, five, five or so years ago. Um, and then at Pull Everywhere, uh, we kind of did what usually happens in Rails applications. You're like, oh, I have this, Big application is shipped. Um, I need to have like a landing page. And at that point, you're not ready to just like go to, you know, build a static site just for this one landing page. So you just kind of build it inside the Rails app, hook it up to the routes. You don't think much about it. Uh, and then, you know, a few months later, a few weeks later, you need another page. So you just kind of start collecting these pages up. Maybe you have a content controller. Um, but it just, you start to end up with these pages that, are kind of one-offs and they're scattered around the application. Uh, so that got annoying. And I'm like, all right, this seems crazy. Um, I searched the internet, found High Voltage, which is a ThoughtBot um, lightweight content management system for Rails. And I'm like, okay, at least this, this gets everything so that it's in one controller and I can throw it in there and kind of have folders for it. Um, and that, I think, is an important thing that um, the URL where you're loading the content maps to some folder somewhere and that's that's a problem if you don't have that and you're just kind of winging content management in rails or using a database like you don't have that so somebody coming in there is like where where does this content live and you don't want to have them like go on the search where you have to go through a router to find all that it should just be like um oh my legal slash privacy thing is in the legal slash privacy folder all inside the content folder um so i I thought that was important, which is that that's what high voltage did. Um, but the thing that it was missing is middleman or not middleman. It was missing front matter um, and all these other goodies that, that middleman had. So what is front matter? It's kind of, um, if you have a markdown file, you can put a title. Um, it's kind of like metadata. You put it at the top of the page and you, it's just YAML. They say at the top of the page where you say like the title of this is privacy policy. Um, and you can add just whatever kind of semi-structured content in there. Um, and then whenever you render that, um, you can read that title from the markdown. You can shove that into the HTML title tag. You can display it as an H1 in your template. Um, so I, I wanted that. Um, there's just some really nice benefits to treating your content as data um, so that you can do things like that. Um, or for a blog post, um, you may have a bunch of posts and you have a publish at date and you want to check that date to see if, if publish ad is in the past, then you want to show that. If it's in the future, you don't want to show that. Um, so there's these kind of, I call them semi-static things. 
um, that you might want to check for before you serve up kind of static-ish content. Um, so I wanted all of that inside of Rails. I tried um, to just throw middleman core inside of Rails, and it was it was not working. There was just way too many dependencies on all these libraries, like active support, older versions. It was just kind of a nightmare managing all those dependencies. Uh, and I think I tried Jekyll. Bridgetown didn't exist at the time. Uh, but the last time I looked at their source, they they had a lot going on with dependencies as well, with just a ton of dependencies. So one goal for Cypress is like, how can I make just some really core, simple, lightweight content management um, functionality that would, would give me most of the features of middleman um, that I can embed in whatever. It's so like, I can embed it in Rails, I can embed it in a Rack app. Um, and that was kind of the initial go at this thing. I, it actually wasn't built on top of Rails initially. Um, I just kind of integrated it into Rails. So anyway, I integrated that into the website and it cleaned up a lot of the content where I was basically able to run middleman inside of a Rails app. Um, and it just made content management so much easier. Um, at that point, it was like, okay, this thing can be 1.0. It's running in production. It's you know serving up millions of page views. Um, and it's actually working and it's solving kind of our, our organizational problems. Um, and I started moving all of my personal websites and all these other websites over to it. Um, but recently I've, I've had this um, thought between components and, and content. Um, to focus on content, when I think about if you are trying to ship a SaaS product and you spin up a Rails application, like the first thing you see is this Rails logo in the version. There's nothing, it doesn't even tell you what to do next. Um, I find that frustrating. It's a missed opportunity. And the way that I think about whenever you boot a Rails application, you should probably see a content page. And there should be some instruction like, hey, um, you should probably you know, put the name of your product in there and then just start writing about it. Like That's the thing that you should ship first. Whenever you spin up a Rails application, it should be, here's this product, here's what it does. Two or three features, like write that out and ship that before you even build any features. Like ship that out there. Maybe have a um, give me your email address and we'll tell you when this thing launches. Uh, but in my mind, a good framework in the future, like a very productive framework out of the box, it should ship with that. Your landing page, here's the concept, some supporting points. We'll email you when it's ready. Um, and then you don't really have to understand even how to write applications for that. You should just understand like, oh, there's this markdown file in app content index. I can write about what this thing does and ship that. Um, and that ideally is shipped uh, to a website like in, in a few hours. And that's your first iteration. Uh, I think to like get to get to ship a Rails application very rapidly like that takes a lot more time. Uh, you have to think about, oh, it's a Rails application. Like I have to start building this application right away. It's like, no, you should probably write about it first and see if people even care about it. Um, right. So I, that's a I good think point. I, I see like a, a productive framework of the future should care more about um, content. Um, even to the point where it'd be great if you could run a command that would just pull like a privacy policy in terms of service that are kind of standard and reasonable and like dash as part of the thing that you ship. Um, so I, content, I think, is a huge opportunity to make a, a very productive framework of the future um, in addition to kind of the like rapid prototyping abilities that I that I think about. 
um, specifically with like how people should be doing it and how the iterations can happen. Yeah, you know, I'm totally with you on that that new Rails page. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I was I was kind of hopeful from uh, all the latest improvements in the the Rails new generator where they have yeah. their interactive now. Uh, where you can interactively select all the different pieces that you want to include nice. in a new Rails application. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping that would translate right into a, a view. <laughs> so yeah. like you land on the Rails and you're like, yeah, what do you want to add anything here? Right? Like yeah. <laughs> it could be a new page, but it could also be uh, you know, create a new model, right? Yeah. Like, you know, do some of the CRUD stuff. Okay, well, you know, I'm generating like, you know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it <laughs> could be even like with it, GPT, right? Where yeah. you say, okay, like, you know, give me a quick outline of what you're trying to build here. And it would give you some ideas, you know, <laughs> yeah. potentially even run the generators for those things and get a scaffold, right? Like, uh, it's definitely like this. It is. It's like, okay, now what? You yeah. know? And uh, I like on the new error pages where you see like, you know, run migrations now, yeah. right? Where, okay, yeah. like you get an error page. Oh, like, you might want to run migrations. It seems like there's migrations pending, which yeah. why it wouldn't just run them if you're locally. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, like little tweaks like that where, you know, it is missed real estate and kind of just like frustrating to people that are just starting out too. Like, yeah. okay, well, what do I do next? You know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like I have my new rail site, but like, yeah, where do I go from here? You know? Yeah. And I like the idea of starting with content. Um, because that, I, that used to be the first thing I added to any site, like you were mentioning, high voltage. That yeah. was my go-to. I just add it and then open up a markdown yeah. uh, and start writing something. And I would have it convert <laughs> to, to whatever the template was. But yeah, uh, It'd be nice to have that dopamine hit that fast. It's like, oh, I right. made the landing page and shipped it. Um, right, done. It, it should almost be like, <laughs> it should almost be, it should be so easy that you can impulsively do that after you impulsively buy a domain name. <laughs> it's like, oh, I had the domain. Uh, maybe that's the default, right? It's like, enter your domain and then... Enter your domain. domain. Yeah, but the, it actually says domain for sale that I probably won't use. <laughs> you just put the price in the thing and it's like, I have this great idea. I'm definitely going to do it. Um, right. And you ship that. And then at least, you know, down the road, somebody's like, hey, I see your domain's for sale. You haven't done anything with it for two years. Uh. But yeah, it, it would be great. Like just editing content, way more people can do that. So why not just um, when you boot the thing, say like, hey, go over here and write about this thing and ship it. Right. Um, and then you you have something that's, that's public. So there's your endpoint. And then you can just like hopefully rapidly iterate on the um, the view component side of things to actually ship the application um and the prototyping that should be as easy as I'll, I'll date myself here um by saying it should be as easy as building like a microsoft access application um, <laughs> easier you should oh, just be able funny. to say here's a form with these fields uh this field's an association you should just give me a drop down like i shouldn't have to write all that out and give it an array just figure it out um, right and um, yeah, there's there's so much that can be done in the view. It's ridiculous. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens uh, with the with the view layer. We'll see how far <laughs> that I get. Hopefully, just other people 
pick the stuff up and I'm hoping somebody you figured know, I, out live view for Flex. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, t- talking about prototyping, right? Like that's definitely what Rails is great at. Uh, yeah. and, and what I've loved about it, but it is like, it, it would be even better if you had like some kind of view component structure where you could just drag and drop the, all these shared resources and like build out your yeah. forms or whatever that you're building. And then be like, all right, I want to hook this up to something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, it, you know, you could be able to configure or, or drag and drop things to connect them and have it automatically build models. Like, I feel like all this yeah. stuff is like, possible <laughs> it is, as yeah. like a prototype you know and, and as a prototyping yeah. tool like i guess there's like some sites already out there doing it but like it seems e- easy enough with all the tools we already have in rails to be able to do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and i'm kind of surprised it hasn't surfaced yet to be honest yeah uh for it yeah. being such a hey this is a prototyping tool like this is yeah. the prototyping tool you want to build a SaaS product that's as successful as github or Shopify, yeah. right? Like this is it, you know. Uh, and yeah. it doesn't, it can't do what we already know is possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I, I still run into people who swear Rails is the most productive framework. Um, a lot of other frameworks have caught up. So there's also a conversation around like, oh, not enough new people are coming into Rails. And I wonder if those two things are related. Uh, I think it's more nuanced than that. But I, my mind wanders there. It's like, how could Rails just be made easier and more accessible, so that kind of the the next generation of companies and and startups want to use it. Um, so yeah, I think to to your point, I do think there's a lot more that could be done around building the application inside the browser. And there's like tiny tiny hints of that. the The run migration button is kind of the first foray into um, modify things on your uh, workstation project directory. Um, right. I've thought about in SitePress, like if I have a, a SitePress Pro product, it would probably be um, some kind of um, web-based interface so that a non-technical marketing person could just edit the files and it would like push it up to GitHub and trigger off a CI kind of process to deploy it. Um, so yeah, I don't know, like maybe that's an open source uh, thing that Rails kind of kicks out. I I do think that would probably go a longer way than improving documentation there's so much stuff i see in documentation like that should really be automated um yeah it would just save thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of of hours across humanity um if these like (laughs) things were just simpler to do um and had kind of a default answer um but yeah there's there's a lot about rails that um it's just kind of left to the end user to figure out um, where I think there could be stronger opinions that could um, kind of give it back that being productive, competitively productive with other uh, frameworks out there today. Um, I, I do think Rails is a great web framework. Um, Active Record is great. Um, the router is great. The controllers are great. The view layer could use um, just a lot of a lot of improvements. Um, and asset management is a mess. Like. If that if asset management was had one answer and one opinion, um, and we can get to a world where we have kind of a standard library of view components, uh, I think we see see some really interesting things uh, happening on the Rails uh, front end. Um, and then, yeah, I think for beginners, it'd be nice just to have more kind of tooling built into 
the rails runtime and you hit errors or whatever. There's signs of that happening. Yeah. I mean, it would even be nice to have it on that landing page, like, hey, generate a new model with this command, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Or I, whatever would be our scaffold, right? Like, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I opened it. There's a PR. Uh, okay. The, I opened the PR. I had that. Um, and then I got shot down. Um, <laughs> I, what, I tried was the res- what was the feedback for that? Um, it's, I can't remember exactly. It was something like we can't, DHH said something to the effect of we can't expect to teach like Rails in the screen. And that's not the intent. So I, I tried to counter that with um, what we need in Rails are better road signs. It's like if you get in a car and you drive somewhere, you don't want to see a hundred signs all at once. I agree that's a terrible experience. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the what I would say that Rails could use more of is just like better road signs. Um, so whenever you do fire up that welcome screen, why, why not have it tell you what to do next? Like, hey, go edit your routes file. Here's the path. Um, right. Generate a scaffold or something. Um, which I know I, I went with your routes files here. Open that. Because there's a comment on the top of the routes file that says like, hey, um, here's what you should do next. So I, right. I believe in having those road signs and little hints um, in a way that doesn't overwhelm. Um, you don't want to have like six signs or three signs or something like that. Um, ideally, it's just kind of sending people in one direction who are new. And then people who have like used it over and over again, they just don't even pay attention to it anymore. It stays kind of out of their way. <laughs> um, but anyway, like, I had to rip that out. I don't know why. Um, I know others have tried to improve the Rails home screen. <laughs> it just it doesn't work for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's a, a design masterpiece or something. I have no idea, but um, I, there's there's a lot of room for improvement there uh, as well. And I I even think that maybe we're getting to a point where Rails is just a mature web framework, um, and maybe the uh, uh, the our our energy as as an open source community could be spent kind of building a framework on top of rails and we see that in some SaaS starter kits like um bullet, bullet train. Train. yeah and then <laughs> what is the other one it's it go rails go rails yeah or jumpstart rails that's it jumpstart rails yeah they're kind of looking at that um and i i like to think that that's kind of the next generation of framework is like rails is a solid web framework they solve some um some kind of fundamental web problems. Um, but if you want to build kind of a CRUD application, there is a layer on top of that that um, could be could be helpful. And maybe that layer too would include more road signage and more of these tools that um, automate some of these, um, these things that are just so manual inside of Rails. Um, so it'd be cool to see that and see a framework that's just highly, highly opinionated um, I'm actually thinking of combining some of the things that I've talked about, um, both the content and the view components into this framework that I'm right now I'm thinking about just calling it um, monolith. Uh, so <laughs> I, I have used uh, monolith to deploy monolith. Um, so it's rubymonolith.com. I have like this landing page right now that's it's kind of out of date. Uh, but the idea there is like, all right, let's combine this world of component-driven development with content out of the box. Um, and you type monolith new, you get you get all this stuff. 
Um, and going back to kind of the different phases of development that I talk about, the phase one, I think is like, oh, here's a landing page, like get that deployed. Um, and then phase two would be prototyping. So you're just kind of essentially laying out the scaffolding, but not with a bunch of files. You're doing it uh, with like inline view components and controllers. You get your prototype out there, get a couple users, and then kind of the next phase after that is um, you know, integrating stuff like Stripe to get payment, kind of getting things ready for production. Uh, I think it'd be pretty interesting to build kind of a framework around those three different ideas of component-driven development, content as first-class citizen, and then instead of right. throwing like 20 features on somebody wants, like how can you um, break it out into phases where you can say, hey, for this framework, just focus about um, creating the landing page, explaining what it is that you're going to build, um, ship that, and then once you do that, then prototype the thing and you know it opens up a new kind of level of plugins and documentation like a rails stuff. guides guide <laughs> yeah kind of it's <laughs> like some some road signage some better road signage uh if better you know. road signage yeah <laughs> uh and uh, you know i've thought like do you build it on top of rails or not and like there's some good reasons to not build it on rails um if you want uh like if you want to build on more cutting edge stuff in Ruby, like Raptors or threads, not threads, fibers. Um, you probably don't want to build it in Rails yet, but Rails is such a giant and there's so much already built on it. Like, yeah. um, I think it makes sense to just start thinking of Rails as kind of this mature web framework and ask the question, like, what can we build on top of that? Um, that kind of gives gives back that very the highly opinionated um thing that rails i think had more of back in the day when there were less opinions it had like one stronger opinion i think that can be um regained uh through a project like that so we'll see i know componentizing everything especially in ruby is is uh not going to make everybody happy but <laughs> <laughs> enough with the microservices already yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I, I fell for spas but not microservices <clears throat> yeah there's no escaping spas uh yeah <laughs> anytime soon anyway <laughs> yeah um okay i mean i i like your idea i mean it definitely makes sense having i because you're right rails is a very mature framework right and at yeah. this point, making any changes to those fundamentals is going to be harder and harder. Yeah. Uh, so another layer does make a lot of sense. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what com what comes from. I mean, I, I would love to read an article on that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> the hints are all there. Anything I write is kind of working up to this. Um, assuming like I can prove out some of these these smaller concepts. Um, but it, so far, it's promising. The view component stuff is 100% doable. Um, I'm right now. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to make batch resource manipulation easier um, using some controller hacks that that I wrote about recently. Um, so we'll see how far I get with that. I think that's another. In my mind, if you can solve batch resource manipulation, <laughs> you've <laughs> you've made a lot of other um, SaaS. Uh, 
Rails SaaS uh, companies happy. It's like, oh, I can just plug this into my Rails application and it works in a sane way. It's not a ton of hacks. Um, it, it reminds me, somebody posted recently uh, on a Twitter thread about, what was it Active Resource? Oh yeah, it's like your OG. If <laughs> I remember that, huh. uh, yeah. I mean, for for those that don't know, there was this gem called Active Resource uh, yeah. that did a lot of what Brad was describing uh, in some ways, uh, right? Um, where it, it lets you manage, you know, the entire CRUD portion of something yeah. uh, in a centralized location. Uh, and needless to say. Uh, it ended up causing a lot of problems yeah. <laughs> the longer you had to work with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have, I have many admin panels where they're still running active resource. <laughs> they're still running. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, I don't want to go in and clean that up. <laughs> right. There, yeah, there, there's still a lot of, I, I want to get to that point where I have something that's like active resource, but it needs to be composable. Um, View component solves that. Another thing of boilerplate that I see constantly is like loading data. Um, I've I have a gem I'm working on. I actually don't know what the gem is yet. I just kind of push everything to it. It's called Oxidizer. <laughs> um, and a problem I solved in there recently was loading data. So I have this like at the top of a controller, you can just say assign posts through blog from current user. Um, and it kind of it assembles this nested um, hierarchy that makes sense from like the, the point of a nested resource. Um, it kind of forces resources to be one one level deep. Uh, so I feel pretty good about that. Though there's some things I want to change about it so that it works better outside of Active Record and can work with classes. Um, the thing I'm struggling with though is how can you um, deal with like the update and the create methods in a controller in a way that's composable and not necessarily using inheritance from another controller or like in the case of active resource that include that just includes all the stuff that, that you find out about later when you don't want it there <laughs> uh, so there, there's some interesting things there that apply to like if you're loading uh, a nested resource a nested singular resource there's certain things you there's certain ways you want that to behave if you're doing like batch resource manipulation, there's an entirely different way you want that to behave. But those behaviors are pretty common for, um, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, right. And I see, I see that just over and over again in controllers implemented, which isn't terrible. There's something nice about seeing how the code is loaded. Uh, but I think we can do better. Um, and I've, I've been working on that. Like, how can we load data in a, in a sane way? for most use cases. And then again, if the abstraction is leaky, like just drop back into your before actions. Um, but I am trying to figure out how to make the um, update and save kind of flows that we see over and over again, like um, assigning the attributes, permitting them, like how can all that boilerplate be right. um, abstracted away in a way where if it leaks, it's easy to drop down into that. I haven't figured that out yet. I've tried many times, but <laughs> I, I end up in something that looks kind of like active resource for, for yep. panels. <laughs> I have a few more ideas. I'm going to try it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully I, hopefully I can get there. I think between batch and a few other things I'm doing, I, like maybe I'll figure it out. Maybe I won't, but I'll die <laughs> trying. <laughs> I mean, I think that you make a good point, uh, how easy it is to experiment, uh, within rails. Right. Um, uh, yeah, that, 
you know, the framework is so mature now, like, you know, it's pretty easy to find what you need, where it is, how it works. Yeah. Uh, and I guess adding more abstractions only hides it further, uh, <laughs> which yeah. maybe is a bad idea. And I know that's the common argument, right? Uh, yeah. But for for prototyping, <laughs> backdoor, yeah. uh, you know, the, the layer, uh, it definitely makes a lot of sense, right? Cover it yeah. up and do as quick as you can, move as quick as you can uh, until you don't need to anymore. Yeah. Yeah, good, good abstractions stay out of the way. And then when they don't work, they're easy to to drop drop down a level and fix the leak. But there's just so many things that have been shipped, and I'm I've shipped a lot of these that are they seem great at the time, and then only later on you realize like, oh, that that was the wrong choice. <laughs> I made a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be hard to undo that. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a. Uh, uh, abstractions are always trade-offs. Like I won't, I won't, I won't pretend that it's not. There's things to like about abstractions, and there's there's things to not, which is why That's, like and we need a, a we need a new layer on top of that too for refactoring yeah. and transitioning to a new. <laughs> That's all going to be GPT. Like we don't have to worry <laughs> right. about <that>. GPT sixes. <laughs> I wonder about that. Sometimes it's all just going to be comments with prompts. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I. I've thought about that to the point where I realized that assuming that AI, I don't like calling it AI, let's get large language models, assuming that they're like on our side and helping us, they're going to want to write things that we want to read. So I, I have a hard time seeing a world where we humans want to read just code that's tangled up that we don't understand. Uh, so I'm optimistic that um, LLMs are going to be writing like, code that's easy for us to look at and understand and hopefully refactor some things like if there's an abstraction that we need to go a little deeper maybe it could explain it in a way where it makes sense or maybe it could refactor the abstraction out i could see it doing that um but i have a hard time seeing a world where we're just like throwing spaghetti code into this thing and somehow it all <laughs> like stitches it together and works <laughs> uh but we'll see it's it's hard to predict what's what's going on there there's days where i'm like ah oh, gpt is so great at at coding like i built some zhs um yeah no zsh extensions i know nothing about shell scripting and it did that but then sometimes um if i'm asking gpt like some kind of specific question it'll pretend it'll give me a confident answer that i'm like Ooh, yeah. that sounds believable and it doesn't work which is kind of funny because you know the more specific you get the worse it gets yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, you know, it's a large language model for more generic yeah. terms. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, right? Like <laughs> I'm curious how the the larger token sizes work. Because we have like I think the public previews eight thousand tokens. I don't really yeah. know what that means. Like what is a token? It's a word. Um, kind of. <laughs> yeah. And so, the other... sometimes they break it down where they have like every every character is a, a token in yeah. a word depending on it. Yeah, you <laughs> see like, the tokenizers. Not, it's not straightforward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing I'd like to understand is um, using a thirty two thousand token GPT four is that going from eight thousand to thirty two thousand is that a linear increase in ability or is it like an exponential increase? I don't know. I'm sure like people who are in the space, it's probably a really easy question for them to answer. Uh, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens as the, the token size increases. It'd be cool just to throw your whole 
GitHub repo in there and it understands it. And then you can just tell it to do things and it gives you some answers. And then I guess right. add to that the ability to like um, operate a REPL so it can try the stuff that it tells you. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure the obvious stuff <laughs> that it pretends to know that doesn't I, you actually know, run works. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Repolit or or one of these other sites Ooh, yeah. uh, has already has this. You know, <laughs> yeah, I bet they do. <laughs> I'm sure GitHub's all over it. Like they're owned oh, by yeah. Microsoft. OpenAI is opened by Microsoft. Um, <laughs> that was such a great acquisition by Microsoft. Like they just bought. They bought. Do you think they had the, any idea? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think at the time before they bought GitHub, they had like Visual Studio. I forget if VS Code was a thing, but it was just kind of Microsoft wasn't perceived as. I don't want to say they were irrelevant in open source, but it wasn't. They they weren't at the center of it. And buying GitHub, it's like, hey, we're going to be around for decades, <laughs> and and uh, a lot of major projects are going to be um, hosted on here. So, I think that was. I think they knew what they're doing. I don't know to what degree of success they knew that would be, but um, yeah, for Microsoft, I think that was a great acquisition. I don't know what that means for open source, especially with like open AI kind of coming into the mix and, and seeing what's going on there. I know there's um, been controversy around like, was it Copilot training itself on open source? Um, and I've seen, I don't know if this is true or not, but like proprietary code has been emitted from these models um i don't know how common that is or if that's even true but um I th there's still some things to that like there's no doubt that these models are consuming things that are proprietary maybe it doesn't know it but it, it consumes those things and spits them out so it's it's interesting we're on the cusp of of another kind of interesting uh push um and it seems like there's gonna be some like real stuff coming out of this it's gonna be helpful I'm mostly optimistic about it. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. I I, I, th I see it as a great tool. Uh, and I mean, the more we can get past all of the, you know, is it is it ethical or is it stealing X or, uh, yeah. you know, if everybody's using it, does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's almost like at this point, uh, you know, the the mickey is about to be released right and copyright and like so what everybody's allowed to just make their own mickey toys and sell them right like yeah yeah <laughs> you know we'll it's mid -journey. almost like there's no rules yeah yeah <laughs> mid it'll, it'll just be cranking out mickey mouse <laughs> right Netflix. like what disney movie do you want to watch with mickey mouse and i'll put the whole things together on voices and stuff well yeah, we've talked about a lot we, yeah. we should move to picks here <laughs> Uh, it's been a, an awesome talk. Uh, it's been great to have you on, Brad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have uh, anything you want to share? Uh, you know, picks is a segment. You just pick anything you're thinking about, working on, uh, purchases, anything you want to share, really. Yeah, geez, purchases. Um, we could talk more about Flex. Check Flex out. Um, get past the uncomfort it brings. Uh, that's kind of obvious though, but flex.fun is the website uh, for that. Uh, I'll go to something fun that if you live in an area where there's nice weather, you should have an outdoor desk. Uh, so I, in the, the winter, I'm like, I want a desk that's outside. So I bought one of those like husky 
desks from Home Depot that has like the little handle that you can put up and down. So you get that. That's kind of the obvious thing. Get a stool, buy a barbecue cover because you're going to put it over that and then get a monitor arm and put a display on there and like cable the thing up, clamp it on there, hook your microphone and stuff up to it uh, and just have that thing outside. So when it's nice outside, you can sit out there and use your desk, stand up, sit down. Uh, when you're done with it, you just cover it and wheel it off to the side. And it looks like a barbecue is hanging out there. Um, but that's kind of fun. I, I have mine sitting kind of on the front patio. And whenever a delivery person comes by, they're kind of freaked out because there's just this person sitting over there in the, the corner in this desk. And I look like the receptionist or something. I'm like, can I help you? And I got my little keyboard there. What is this person doing? Um, but yeah, check that out if you want to get outside. Um, put the desk together and uh, you'll enjoy that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's a great idea. I'd never thought about that. The barbecue cover. (laughs) It works. It's rained for like four months. I live in Northern California and I had the thing outside just under four, four months of rain and it's dry. It worked fine. My, uh, uh, what is it? The USB-C Thunderbolt cable or whatever um, corroded but I solved that. You do want to make sure everything's waterproof. <laughs> and Amazon's <laughs> your friend there for all the little rubber fittings. Uh, but yeah, having a, an outdoor desk is a great thing. Awesome. My latest uh, addition to my office is, uh, you know, maybe you can't see it from here, but it's this yeah. laser uh, engraver in the background. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I was one of those suckers that saw a uh, Indiegogo campaign and was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, this looks really cool. It's a 20 watt laser and uh, it sits on my desk and it detaches so I can bring it around and carry it and like laser engrave the wall. And <laughs> I'm just having like way too much fun with this thing. Yeah, but it's by Com Maker. And uh, yeah, I mean, the first day you get it and it has like, uh, you know, you can engrave images even and you just like sit it and put on your goggles and <laughs> watch it etch into metal. And uh, it's it's incredible. Yeah, um, it's way too much fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I have like too much stuff in the garage like that. No laser engraver, <laughs> but it'd be fun to have that. Yeah, hmm. we'll see. I mean, I've got a I've got a backlog of projects that I just like <laughs> I'm gonna start yeah. like running through and uh <laughs> it's it's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh all right, well it's great having you on, Brad. Um yeah, thanks for having me. You know. I'm looking forward to reading more of your content. Uh, your your fly articles are are really fly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know you make a lot of great points, and uh, you're tackling all the right problems. It seems. Uh, I hope that you know something fruitful comes from it, and uh, I'm going to definitely try and use some of the ideas you got there for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, the the content's definitely gonna. I'll be cranking a lot of that out, and we'll see how far I get. Um, but I don't know, hopefully I come out on the other side of this with a, a compelling framework that kind of makes Rails just that much more productive. Um, but we'll see. A lot of interesting ideas there. And uh, I'm sure some won't work out, but hopefully some do. Yeah, I mean, for all our case, I, I hope they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could use a better view layer and definitely better asset management. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, until next time, folks, uh, Valentino out. <laughs>